Has it ever occurred to you just how incredible grapes are? Now think about it. That little box of raisins your mother packed in your lunch bag was the only fruit that qualified as a dessert. And consider this. When we hear juicy gossip, we say we heard it through the grapevine. We didn't hear it through the apple tree or the berry bush. Grapes are so darn special that the grocery store expects us to snitch a few to ensure quality control. Try doing that with a banana or a pineapple. Admit it, every encounter you've ever had with grapes has been positive. That's why we created Grape Encounters, a place for adults to hang out and focus on the paramount achievement of grapedom. Delicious, irresistible wine. Wine brings people together. It starts conversations. It makes us happy. In fact, wherever there are grapes, there's gorgeous scenery, very cool people, and plenty of laughter. All that being said, let's bring out your guide for this journey. The Wizard of Wine, the Gangster of Grape, David Wilson. You know what's really funny is 15 years ago, I was sitting around trying to figure out what to call this show. 15 years ago, 665 episodes ago. And I was trying to work the word wine into the name of the show. And it ended up being Grape Encounters. And I'm actually really glad that that is the case because so much of what we talk about doesn't really fall into that conventional wine category. The wine industry has gone absolutely bananas and have created so many new products and hybrid products that wine in its traditional sense is just a small portion of what people are drinking right now. So anyway, with that in mind, I'm going to actually talk a little bit later about some of the things that have changed over the last 15 years. And then also, I've developed something that I call the immutable truths about wine and things that we can say about wine absolutely positively. So we're going to get into that. But before I do that, I want to make a bit of a confession and I want to perk up your ears to something that you may not be doing. You're probably not doing as a matter of fact, and maybe you should be doing, and it has everything to do with wine and nothing to do with wine. So I'm sitting here, and I've got this pretty good-sized coffee cup in front of me, and in it I have, of all things, coffee. Except I made the coffee in a way that I would never have made it in America. And for those of you who are just listening for the first time, we're in Italy. And you would think that in Italy, wine would be the biggest thing for people. I'm going to tell you what, it's not. It's coffee. The people get excited about coffee. They can't live without coffee. Coffee is a drug here in Italy. And you got to have it multiple times in the day. And there are rules about drinking coffee. But more importantly, I would say, is that coffee is a very important companion to wine. And this is really, really different than what we do in the States. A lot of times we just won't even think about doing coffee after a certain time of day because, heaven forbid, it might keep us up. And wouldn't that be awful? And especially that terrible espresso, or people sometimes call it espresso. No, it's espresso. But anyway, that espresso, how can anybody take a shot of that? It's so strong and it's got a, so much caffeine in it, it'll just keep you up all night long. Actually, so here's the truth about espresso. 
because it's roasted darker, a lot of the caffeine, as I understand it, is roasted out of the bean. And so those espresso shots that you're so fearful of are actually lower in caffeine than just regular coffee. But anyway, I was saying I have this mug of coffee here, and if there were any people around me other than an engineer, I would be in trouble because I am breaking every coffee rule right at the moment. Well, first of all, I'm drinking it out of a cup with advertising on it, and the advertising is for a company called Kinder. And Kinder makes amazing chocolates. Now, they're a multinational corporation based in Italy. They're like Nestle, you know. But they make the most crazy ensemble of chocolates, and they really market it to kids. And pretty much every chocolate they make has a picture of a really clean-cut little boy on it. And there are no girls on the chocolate, and I don't know why. And this kid's got wonderful teeth, and I'm just going to tell you that I try to stay away from this chocolate because it is the most delicious thing you could possibly imagine. And they have this one bar that just drives me crazy. It's called the Bueno. Boy, I'll tell you, it pairs with wine. It pairs with coffee. It just pairs with life. And it's got this creamy filling in the middle and chocolate on the outside and a little crunchy thing. Ah, so good. Okay, I'm getting off the topic. But anyway, what I wanted to go back and just mention to you is this, that, that coffee is constantly paired with wine here. So it's really unusual not to have a meal with wine and then follow it up with coffee. It's just almost imperative. Oh, let me go back to the cup on my desk. So I would be in trouble for this because first of all, I've poured myself way too much coffee. Here, it's just a shot. Number two, I put cream in it, real cream. That's a no-no. You can have a cappuccino in the morning. As the day progresses, no, you don't get fancy with your coffee. It's just a shot of espresso. They will tolerate a little bit of sugar in there, but that's it. Okay, And don't sit there and ask for a second and a third one. It's just a little tiny amount of coffee. And some restaurants that you go to, they just give it to you free, but it's going to be literally the amount of coffee that you could put into an eyedropper. I kid you not. Anyway, so I drink my coffee breaking all the rules when I'm alone, mostly, or with somebody that will not tell on me. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that because it's something that I think that we need to pick up on more in American culture. And I don't know what is happening now with Starbucks. About five years ago, maybe it was even a little bit longer, we were reporting Starbucks was going to be selling wine at many of their locations. And I can't recall walking into a single Starbucks that sells wine. So I've got to just kind of follow up on that and, and see what's going on. Okay, so for anybody that's saying, David, you're getting way off topic, you're not talking about wine. Honestly, I am. I don't think anything really pairs better with wine than coffee. And I think we're missing the boat. And I'm going to just tell you this before we go to break, that there is a coffee maker that you can buy. And you can get it in the States. And if you have trouble finding it at a local store, just go to Amazon. And it's called a mocha pot. M-O-K-A, and it was invented back in the 1800s, and it's won a lot of design awards, and it basically works like this. There's two sections to it, and in the middle of those two sections is a little coffee basket. The bottom section you put water in, then the coffee basket sits on top of that, and then you put the coffee in there, and then you screw the top on, and then when the thing heats up, everything percolates up through the coffee basket, 
and into the upper area and you pour it into your cup and voila, you have a mocha coffee. And you can find in most grocery stores, I think in the US, you can find espresso grind and, and usually it's in a vacuum sealed bag and just buy that and if it has an Italian name on it, you're going to be fine with it. It's really cheap, actually, too. It's really, really good. Oh, and get this. The cost of one of these little coffee pots, a personal size one, is less than the cost of a pound of coffee. I kid you not. So you have no excuse for not getting one. And so the next time you have dinner with wine, do the coffee afterwards, and the entire experience will be elevated to something super heavenly. And by the way, I was onto this a long time ago. I think if you go to grapeencounters.com and you search for coffee, You'll see that I've done several shows way back in the past about pairing coffee with wine. And even I talked about some drinks that were being developed, which were a mixture of coffee and wine. I got to tell you something. I wouldn't recommend going there. I tasted two or three different products like that. Not so good. So uh, we'll skip that for now. But a little bit of coffee after your wine is going to be fantastic. It's cheap. It's easy. It's fun. And it puts an incredible exclamation point on any dinner that you have or soiree that you put together. So just do it. And you know, most good restaurants also will offer a little espresso afterwards if you just, you just have to ask them. That's all you got to do. All right, we're going to take a break now. I want to tell you about a new thing that you can watch on TV that I think you really should. And it's also something that actually had a bit to do with my getting into radio in the first place. So it's kind of interesting, and it pays tribute, really, to somebody that I admire very, very much. So you can guess a little bit who that might be as we jump into our commercials. And thank you for listening to Grape Encounters. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. Appreciate it so much. And Total Wine & More, thank you for sponsoring the show. You are so wonderful, and I am so proud to have you here. So thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Every time I visit Total Wine & More, something amazing seems to happen. On my last visit, I picked up this Cabernet at a totally low price, and it became my instant favorite. Well, until my next visit. Check out the mind-numbing selection of wine, beer, and spirits at TotalWine.com, where you'll find what you love and love what you find. Please drink responsibly. Be 21. You're listening to Grape Encounters with David Wilson. We offer something for everyone. Unfortunately, we're not allowed to offer free wine. That's what your friends are for. At MM Organics, we're surrounded by health nuts. That's because we're obsessed with lowering blood pressure, cholesterol, and the risk of cancer. We want to make weight loss easier and help you strengthen everything from your heart to your teeth, nails, and hair. Full disclosure, those health nuts are actually dry-farmed heirloom certified organic raw walnuts. Rich with essential vitamins and nutrients, they're vastly superior to other nuts. Imagine, walnuts can actually lower stress and boost your brain power. No wonder MM Organics customers are so darn smart. MMOrganics.com is where you'll find our uniquely irresistible raw walnuts, walnut butter, oil and flour, sprouted flavored walnuts, and decadent fair trade chocolate covered walnuts, which pair beautifully with our legendary two-horse port style wine. MMOrganics.com 
eating any other nuts is just plain nuts. I want to do a little bit of celebrity stuff now. I haven't done much celebrity stuff in recent weeks, so I have a couple of stories I want to share with you. One of them is about a new program. It's on HBO Max. I've gotten a glimpse of it. And I'll tell you something, if you're a foodie or a wine lover, if you're into the culinary arts, you definitely want to check out on HBO Max a new program called Julia. And it is about the iconic Julia Child. The star of this show is a British actress by the name of Sarah Lancashire. And then David Hyde Pierce plays Julia Child's husband. I've seen a chunk of this show. There are, I think, three episodes out now. There's a total of eight episodes this season. But anyway, I have a lot to thank Julia Child for because quite by accident, she is how I got into radio. And the story goes like this. I had an advertising agency. I did business with a lot of radio stations and TV stations. And somebody who was a very influential figure in the radio business in Southern California, who was actually really responsible in large part for the whole idea of talk radio, he ran several major stations. He doesn't like to be identified by name, so I'm not going to do that. But anyway, he heard that I was a good cook and into wine and stuff. And it turns out he and his wife had a second home near where I lived. And uh, he invited himself to dinner one night and they came over and I cooked in front of them. And the entire time I did the meal, I did it in the character of Julia Child. And they thought it was hysterical. I was just going to do it for a minute or two, but they were having so much fun with it that I just kept it going for what had to be a couple of hours. And he was so entertained by it. He said, you know, David, he goes, you really should be in radio. He says, we got to find a show for you. And he had, uh, at the time, I think, two talk radio stations. And I was just so excited at the possibility. He invited me to an appointment the following Tuesday. And the whole time I'm thinking, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? And then on Monday, he calls me to tell me that he was no longer with the company. There had been this major, major buyout. And a lot of the really important and longtime managers of stations were um, dismissed. And there went my first chance at getting into radio. We used to tease that I was the reason that he lost that job. It's because uh, he had the audacity to think about putting me on the air. But from that time forward, I just kept thinking about this idea of being on the radio. And there were other people who also kind of thought it was a good idea. And one thing led to another. And finally... A smaller station on the central coast of California, the owner gave me a chance and voila, we were on the air and it was just a little tiny audience at the time. And then we got picked up by a pretty major LA station and then things just kind of went from there. And the next thing you know, we had stations all over the country. So thank you, Julia Child. But now here's a really interesting twist to that story. I actually did a show from Julia Child's kitchen. And you're probably saying, well, how that timing doesn't work on that. Well, what happened was I had done an interview with Mike Gergich, the person who won the Judgment of Paris and put American wine, California wine on the map. Very important figure in wine history here in the state of California. And I did an interview with him and he's just so important, so iconic and I'm not sure how the connection was made, but they were putting some of Mike's stuff into the Smithsonian. 
And I ended up talking to the person who was in charge of that exhibit. And they said, hey, why don't you fly to D.C. and do a show from the Smithsonian? And I said, of course. Are you crazy? So the other thing they offered me was the opportunity that while I was there, I could go to Julia Child's kitchen and I could do a show from there as well. They had reconstructed her kitchen from her very famous TV show right there in the Smithsonian. And I got to go there and do my show from there. Anyway. It was quite an honor. I got there early in the morning, and so I got to go in before anybody could come in. The doors were still locked. It was just me and my chaperone, and that was so weird to be able to walk around the Smithsonian just with an escort. It was so cool. Anyway, you can actually find those shows uh, on my website, grapeencounters.com. They're still there. You could just search for Smithsonian. I think that's all you need to do. All right. So enough about that celebrity, but you do want to check the schedule. Julia is on HBO Max, and I've seen a good bit of it, and uh, you're going to love it, okay? All right, so next celebrity is Cameron Diaz, and I love her as an actress, but she has actually stirred up a little controversy because she and her partner started this wine business, and they kind of torqued a few people. And I'm going to say that I have never had these wines. I don't know anything about them from a taste standpoint. I got nothing against this wine. The brand is Avaline. And if you go to their website, they go on and on and on about clean wine and health claims and things like that. And what's happened is it's torqued other people. And especially <laughs> there's a journalist or two. It's the San Francisco Chronicle that just have not been very happy about this. The reason it's been upsetting is because they've kind of implied that everybody else is doing it wrong and they're doing it right. And I just want to say this, quite simply put, you know what? Don't believe labels, period. I was in the advertising business pretty much my whole adult life. And when I see people putting out packages that say 6% real juice, which means that 93%, 94% of something that you think is a fruit juice is just chemicals and stuff like that, you know, you become just suspicious of everything. Now, my feeling is this. I would really like to see wines disclose what has been put in them. So in a sense, I do kind of side with Cameron Diaz. And as a matter of fact, I did an interview a few years back with Paul Draper from Ridge Wines, you know, the really, really incredible wines at Ridge. And he's a full disclosure guy and has been very much at the forefront of encouraging other wine producers to just put it out there. So many of the things that are added to wine are pretty innocuous anyway. And maybe there are some things that you don't want to consume and it would be so easy to just put it on the back label. Or you know what? I don't know a winemaker in the world that wouldn't tell you what's in their wine if you asked them. You know, it's not like they're really hiding things. Now, there is this one thing called mega purple, which causes a wine to look more robust. It'll make it a deeper color and add a little bit of sweetness to the wine. It's a very popular additive to put in wine. It's made from grapes. Nobody's ever discovered whether it's bad for you or not. I can't see what it would be. But one of the things that I found very annoying, even though I really don't like the idea of Mega Purple, is that one of these clean wine people said, if your teeth get stained when you drink a red wine, it's because there's Mega Purple in the wine. And that is 
absolute BS. Again, all I really have to say on the subject is don't go attacking other winemakers. If you want to know what's in the wine, ask the winemaker. And as for my opinion, I'd like to see full disclosure. Really, all of the winemakers that I know, I think would be perfectly happy to tell you what's in the wine. Maybe we should just start doing it. But I'll end this simply by telling you that the government now has come out with a ruling, the TTB, and they've said that you can't make claims of a wine being clean because it's suggest certain things about the wine that may or may not be true. And so they're not saying at this point in time whether they're going to find anybody, but they say we're responsible for ensuring that labels are not misleading to the public. This according to Tom Hogue, director of the Office of Congressional and Public Affairs at the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau. He says, just as a wine label can't promise to cure your headaches or increase your energy, it also isn't allowed to use the word clean to imply that it's healthy for you. So there you have it. There's more to this story coming, I can tell you that, but uh, that's going to do it on that subject for now. We'll be back in just a moment with my immutable facts about wine. Smoke from increasing wildfires is tainting wine grapes, and vineyard executives are looking for new ways to adapt. Pure Fresh Wine's O3 technology helps vineyards overcome the problems caused by wildfire smoke by treating grapes pre-crush to improve fermentation and overall wine quality, as well as removing smoke taint. For the typical winery, saving a full harvest of grapes with Pure Fresh Wine costs only 10 cents per bottle. O3 technology has been approved by the FDA and USDA. It leaves no residue and uses no chemicals. It provides many benefits to wineries, including the removal of sulfur, pesticides, and fungicides pre-crush, the reduction of bad bacteria and mold issues, an improvement in roundness and fruit-forward palate notes, and so much more. Most importantly, it safely and naturally breaks down smoke taint molecules to save grapes from damage. Rescue your harvest from smoke taint. Visit purefreshwine.com today. When you discover a new favorite bottle of Chardonnay, sparkling wine, or artisan spirit at Total Wine & More, you'll discover a whole lot more. Like the friendly smile of an expert guide, ready to help you find that perfect bottle. And the confidence of knowing you just found something really special. Explore the wondrous selection and totally low prices at TotalWine.com, where you'll find what you love and love what you find. Please drink responsibly. Be 21. This edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine and More. When you discover a new favorite bottle of Chardonnay, sparkling wine, or craft spirit at Total Wine and More, you'll discover a whole lot more. Like the confidence of knowing you just found something really special. So explore the wondrous selection at TotalWine.com, where you'll find what you love and love what you find. Please drink responsibly. Be 21. We are back with Grape Encounters Radio, and I have put together a list that I felt I needed to do because so much has changed in the wine business since I started this show. And if you don't believe me, think about this for a second. When I started this 15 years ago, first of all, there were way less wine choices than there are now way less. And what was really significant is that wines that were not familiar 
were cast aside, whereas now wines that are not familiar are being sought out because people are into discovery. 15 years ago, there were practically no wines, practically none, that had screw cap tops. And then, you know, a few years after we started the show, they started to show up and I kicked up a fuss and I said, oh no, you know, don't buy any wines that are under screw caps. Just don't do it. It's taking all the romance out of wine. And then, of course, I started a wine bar and the convenience of taking a screw cap off was kind of cool, and I sort of simmered down where that is concerned, although I tend not to buy screw cap bottles. And the next thing is, is that, you know, think about what they've been doing to wine and creating beverages that are not exactly wine, they're hybrids, and that's why I'm glad this is called grape encounters and not wine encounters, because I don't think that you can call a lot of this wine. We've got all of these wine coolers out there. And by the way, let's not even forget that we've got wine in cans right now and lots of it. Wine in boxes and lots of it. And I'm actually surprised that here in Italy that I go into a store and there are quite a lot of wines in boxes. So it's a popular notion here as well. So Things have changed so much. It's real hard from my perspective to decide what people want because the movement has gone toward more hip wines, more chic wines, less expensive wines. I don't know how many people would listen to the show if all I talked about were wines that were over $50. I think my audience would be quite small because the lion's share of business in the wine business comes from the sale of wines that are like 10 to $20 in price. And honestly, there's some pretty good stuff in that range. In fact, I would say this, if you compared a $10 bottle of wine today to a wine that was quite a bit more expensive 30 years ago or 40 years ago, and I say, you know, you have to adjust for inflation when I say that, but I think that you'd find the $10 bottle of wine to be way better because we've just gotten so good at this, right? And we do cut some corners and we do some cheating, of course. And so you have to take that into consideration as well. But look, you know what? If you like it, buy it, drink it. Don't let anybody tell you that you shouldn't. This show is really about pleasure and it's about adventures. And I'm on the adventure of my lifetime here taking the show to Italy and seeing life from a different perspective that, by the way, is a very different perspective. And I'm learning a lot. But I put together what I call my list of immutable truths about wine because no matter how much things change, these are things that I think when it comes to wine are constants. So let's jump into the list, shall we? Okay. Uh, the first one is this. There are two major types of wine drinkers, the haves and the have-nots or don't-wants. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I threw the have-nots and the don't-wants together because they're really one and the same, except that the have-nots maybe just can't afford to buy $100 bottles of wine and the don't-wants just think it's completely ridiculous and they may have plenty of money to do it. And the haves, of course, are the people that will spend anything that they want to to indulge themselves. And hey, nothing wrong with either side, but there's always going to be this split 
in the wine world and there's going to be certain groups of people that are going to buy really expensive stuff and there are some that will never ever taste it and you know what maybe it's best that you don't because i've said this before if you're happy with your ten dollar bottle of wine if you really love it then there's no reason to try to upgrade unless you just have money to burn okay second immutable truth most wine is either delicious or not delicious Now, I know that sounds completely absurd or it sounds like it's obvious, but you know what's really interesting is that you never hear stories about wine being thrown away because it wasn't sold. There is somebody out there that will drink it. There is somebody that will think that a wine that you hate is delicious and there are people who will taste what you love and they'll think it's terrible And wine is a very subjective thing, and we've got to remember that. And you can't be shoving a wine down somebody's throat who doesn't like it because nothing that you say about how that wine was made, how incredible that winemaker is, is going to change somebody's mind. Now, there are lots of people that will pretend to like it, but for the most part, they're just lying to you. So stick with what you love and don't criticize what somebody else loves. Some wine is delicious and some wine is not. It just depends whose lips the glass is being held against. Number three, if you're not hearing much about a wine region, figure out why before you buy. Now, I'm dropping a little hint here because there are wine regions that I don't talk about. And every once in a while, somebody will say to me, David, how come you never talk about region X? And the answer is because I don't really like region X for some reason. And sometimes it's not about the wine. Sometimes it's about the people there. I find that most people in wine countries are really super awesome, but sometimes there are places that I go to that I just think they're really snobby or stuffy or unfriendly, and so I don't talk about them. And that's my choice. So anyway, if you're not hearing about a region too much, there might be a reason. Number four. Our fear of the unfamiliar is robbing us of happiness we didn't know was there for us. Robbing us of happiness that we didn't know was there for us. I really am talking about things that you haven't been willing to try and that you should. Like a really good example is the wine Tanat. T-A-N-A-T. So delicious. And you don't see very much of it. But it is so, so good. So the next time you go into a Total Wine and More, just to ask them, say, hey, show me something that I've probably never had before. And I like Petite Syrah or I like this or I like that. And let them turn you on to an experience, you know, whether it's Total Wine or some other store. Let them turn you on to an experience that you've never had before. All right, let's see. Number five. It turns out we Americans are the wine snobs. Who would have thunk it? You know, for a long, long time, I always heard that it was the French who were the wine snobs, followed by the Italians. And you know, the reality is, is that it's really not true. That the wine snobbery from Everything that I've seen and done so much research and been so immersed in the wine business, the wine snobbery comes from the U.S. And, you know, we are very, very into our stuff. And so the more expensive a wine is, the more elite a wine is, the more there is a tendency for some people to use it to show off. 
And when you're here in Italy, you never hear people talking about the wine. They just pull up a bottle of wine. It's a delicious bottle of wine. You drink it. And the conversation is about everything except the wine, as we say so often on the show, that wine should be a social lubricant that stimulates conversation about everything except the wine. And if you're sitting in a group that's just talking nonstop about the wine that's in the glass, then maybe, just maybe, you might want to hang out with somebody else for a while. Just take a little break, okay? Let's see. Number six, people in other countries with far smaller income drink better wine for less proportionally. And this is just an amazing thing. And what it really is saying is that wine in the U.S. is just so overpriced. And, you know, there are good reasons for it and there are bad reasons for it. But I can tell you what is so amazing sitting here in Italy, I know that if I want to go out and get a good bottle of wine, I can get it for like eight to 10 euros, which, you know, is probably about 20% more than a dollar a euro is right now. So for, let's say $12, you can drink like a king. You really, really can. And you can even buy imports in the U.S., at a pretty good price. But my gosh, you know, to drink the really good stuff in America, you're often talking about $60 plus. And so honestly, I think if you really compare the numbers that let's just say to be fair, a bottle of wine that is about $15 here uh, might be equivalent to a bottle of wine that is $40 there. And I honestly don't think it's about anybody ripping anybody off. I think it's about the cost of land, the cost of labor, the cost of living in places like California, which makes 90, 95% of the wine that's produced domestically that we consume in America. So people elsewhere got it good. All right, we're going to come back with a few more of my immutable truths when we return with Grape Encounters right after this. Something amazing happened to me the other day at Total Wine and More. I found my new favorite Cabernet Sauvignon at a totally low price. As soon as I picked it up, it felt like, aha, I knew it was the one. So go explore their wondrous selection and you'll feel it too. Because at Total Wine and More, you'll find what you love and love what you find. Download the Total Wine app or visit TotalWine.com. But please drink responsibly. Be 21. All right, so we are talking about my immutable truths about wine. There are actually 12 of them. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I think if you take all of these things to heart, that you can really put your wine life in perspective and you can just have a better time. There will always be real truths about wine. And I think it's very helpful. So let's just kind of recap for a second. There are two types of wine drinkers, the haves and then the have-nots or don't-wants. The have-nots or don't-wants are people that are just not gonna spend a ton of money on wine, and that's okay. Second one is that most wine is either delicious or not delicious, and that just means that there's a wine for everybody, and the wine that you hate, somebody else probably will love, and you never hear about wine being thrown away because somebody didn't buy it and drink it. Number three, 
If you're not hearing much about a wine region, figure out why before you buy. And there are lots of people that make wine, but there are also lots of people that make bad wine, or maybe it's just not a fun place to go. If you're not hearing too much about it, just ask. Doesn't mean it's bad. Number four, our fear of the unfamiliar is robbing us of happiness we didn't know was there. And that just means for Pete's sake, experiment and get to know wines that you haven't tried before because there's so much great stuff out there right now. Try to get away from the big nine that you're so used to. I love Cabernet as much as the next person, but there's other things that want to be discovered by you. Number five, needs no explanation. It turns out that we Americans are the wine snobs. Number six, people in other countries with far smaller income drink better wine for less. And in part, I'm encouraging you to try wines from other countries because you will find them at really good prices. You know, think about uh, places like Chile, Argentina, Italy, Portugal, Spain, Let's see, going back to the list now, the next one is uh, number seven, you have not yet discovered your favorite wine. Don't assume that you have found Nirvana because Nirvana is yet to be discovered by you. There are wines out there that will blow your shorts off. You just got to try a lot of wine. And if you'll do that, you'll be shocked at what you find. You have not found your favorite wine yet. I know that I haven't. And every once in a while, you know, somebody will pour me something and I go, oh, I can't believe this. All right. Number eight. I'm going to torque some people when I say this, but whatever. Our praise of wine is generally way over the top. We find a wine that we love and then we just got to hype it, hype it, hype it, hype it before we pour it for somebody and... You know, there's been some really interesting studies about this, about setting expectations. And I will tell you, it's totally true that if you tell somebody enough that a wine is amazing, they're probably going to give it a better chance than they would otherwise. All right. Number nine, telling a winemaker or wine person you're not fond of their wine is harder than doing brain surgery on yourself. Brain surgery on yourself while skydiving, I would add that. It's just something you kind of don't want to do. Winemakers are very, very personally connected to their wines, so do yourself and them a favor if you don't like it. You can say, I guess, it's not my thing, but I wouldn't go any deeper. Unless they really ask you and you really know them and they respect you, then I guess it's okay. All right, number 10, not overthinking wine is really smart. This is something that just goes against the grain of a lot of people in the wine industry. I'm really not a huge fan of getting deep into tasting notes because I have sat around the table so many times with other wine industry professionals and everybody has a different idea about what they're tasting. And I think it's really important not to overthink your drink. It's fine if you taste coconut from American oak and you love that flavor, which I happen to love, then that's great. And you can say I taste the coconut from the oak, but don't overthink it. All right, number 11, the greatest wines are the ones we enjoy. I want to stress to everybody that wine is a very personal thing. And I've seen so much of this where somebody else tries to get me to love something that really isn't my thing. The good example for me is Pinot Noir. Because I just generally don't like Pinot Noir. Have I had Pinot Noirs that I like? Yeah, sure, I have. 
but I generally just don't gravitate in that direction. And I know that there are certain wines that if I look at the right price range and region, then I'm probably going to find something that I really love. Then my last one is pretty darn personal, as I told you earlier, that I worked in the marketing industry for most of my life before I got into radio. And uh, number 12 is that nothing ruins wine more than marketing. And I've seen this so much. A marketing firm is hired by a winery or uh, somebody that's in the industry. Maybe it's a distributor. And they come up with all kinds of clever ways to promote this wine. But they're wrong. And they don't get it. And I really, frankly, am a huge opponent of people who try to make a wine have a certain character by putting a certain label on it that just doesn't fit. I've been particularly disturbed by wines that are marketed to women or they're marketed to dog lovers or cat lovers or they suggest that uh, there's a real party in the bottle. And the reality is the marketing can backfire because if you're expectations are set in a certain direction because of the label or the hype on the wine and then you drink it and you don't get that feeling then you're going to be disappointed you know what let the quality of the labeling speak to you about the wine that's kind of how i see it anyway that's what i've got 12 immutable truths about wine i'll publish these on the website grapeencounters.com please last week you did me a big favor and if you can continue, I'd really appreciate it. Subscribe to the Grape Encounters podcast. It's uh, no skin off your nose. It's really, really helpful to us. You can go to you know any of the usual podcast sites, Apple Podcast or uh, Stitcher or TuneIn. We're on, I think, pretty much every site. And just subscribe. It does a lot for us. It keeps us on the air, as a matter of fact. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for listening. And a big, huge thank you for our sponsor who brought the show to you today, Total Wine and More. I have loved them long before they were a sponsor. I have talked them up way before I was even on the radio. Well, I say way, a couple years, but still. And I love them. And it's because they're a great company with great wines, great selection, great attitude, great everything. I've just loved them from day one. That will do it for Grape Encounters. I'll be back here next week. We're coming to you from Autri, the east side of Italy, uh, just uh, directly across from Rome. But they're on one side and we're on the other. And speaking of Rome, we're going to be doing a lot of roaming in the coming weeks. We'll tell you all about it when the time comes. Have a really, really great rest of your day. Are you following Grape Encounters on social media yet? You're not? Well, you should be. It's the best way to hear the latest, juiciest, unfiltered wine stories. It's also the single best way to keep our unpretentious, decidedly different wine conversations going strong. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Grape Encounters. For tons of content on Facebook, you'll want to join our Grape Encounters radio group page. Or if LinkedIn is more your thing, connect with me by typing Grape Encounters Radio or Grape Encounters David in the search bar. Here's the deal. The more you click, the more I'll pour.